Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Hope Elam. We're going to let the pitter-patter of the feet dissipate a little bit here. Um, praise God for the stampede of kids that just left, by the way. That's awesome. Thankful for that. Um, if we could just stay in that moment for a second here, or maybe a few seconds. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what you came looking for this morning, if you're checking out a church, if you're going through your routine and this is what we do on Sunday mornings or somebody brought you here, whatever it might be, I pray that you came to experience God. Because way more than we need to get through a worship service, we need to let the greatness of God get through us to experience him. I hope, I hope that's why you came. That's why we exist as a church, because I, I know this, and this is our goal this morning and where we're going today. When you experience the greatness and the goodness of God, it changes everything. Amen. Even like your circumstances, God can do whatever he wants, and sometimes he changes your circumstances, but it gives you an entirely different perspective. And that none of us, would leave here the same as when we walked in. When we experience a glimpse of who God is, the greatness of who he is in his heart for you, you cannot stay the same. If you just came to get through a church service and do your thing, you can do that. But when you experience God, everything changes. Amen? That's why we, that's why we do things the way that we do. Some of you are like, well, we two, sing two songs and then we sit down and what if there's not words on the screen? Because sometimes the Holy Spirit just takes over. And we heard that in our scripture reading this morning in the beginning when Deshaun read for us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Every time I hear that read or read that, I think, oh man, I want that again. What if the Spirit of God was hovering over you this morning? What if the Spirit of God was hovering over these pews, over this place, over this building, over you today, over those of you that are worshiping online with us, wherever you're at, that God is right there with you? That's where we're going today. We want the heart of God. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you picked a really good day to come. Tell him that right now. You picked a really good day to come. You really did. You really did. We are in the season of Lent. This is the first Sunday of Lent, these 40 days leading up to Easter. And if you have been around for a while, you know at all of our Hope's campuses, we are in this series about the heart of God, a church after God's own heart. What does it mean to be a church that reflects the heart of God? Well, if we're going to be a church after God's own heart, we should probably do a deep dive into the heart of 
God. That is the series that we're going to be in for Lent, and we're going to walk through from Genesis starting today all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament, all the way to Jesus. And what are some of the characteristics, what's the nature of God to discover his heart? And why does that question matter? It's because every single one of us, when we walked in here today, you have an idea of who God is and what he is like in your mind. One of the great Christian authors and pastors uh, ever to write books, and Pastor A.W. Tozer once said this. Let's just sit with this for a moment. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just sit with that for a moment. Why does that matter? Because what we think about God will determine how we relate to him and will determine our relationship with him, and nothing is more important than that. Because at the end of the day, in our humanness, what we do is we try to take an infinite God and understand him with a finite mind. And what we unintentionally do, all of us do this in the course of our lives, depending on how we are brought up, what your story is, what experiences you've had with the church, or maybe church hurt, or Christianity, or religion, and how it's done you wrong. We all have different ideas of what God is like because of our upbringing. The socialization, the way that we were raised, the denomination we came, what what is God really like? And what we unintentionally do is we start to limit God, and essentially what we do is we try to put the God of the universe in a box. Because we try to control things, and if I can control God and limit him, then maybe I can figure him out. But God's not going to fit in a box even though we try to put him in one. For some of you, we, we, we say that my God box is that God is boring and irrelevant. Yeah, I'm here today, but I'm just kind of going through the motions. But God couldn't possibly have anything to do with what I'm up against today. I know that God exists. I believe that he's real, but he doesn't really know what's going on. So he's boring and irrelevant. Just put him over there. For some of us, our God in a box is angry. This is what people in Jesus' day thought, because they thought that this God, this Yahweh that we just sang about was like all the other Greek gods and just waiting for you to mess up. And if you don't please the gods, then they're just going to come down and pour out their anger and their wrath upon you, that God's just waiting for us to screw up. He's an angry God. Jesus came to flip that upside down and show us a God of love. For some of you, your God in a box is the God of convenience. You know, maybe you have a pantry at home, and you buy those things, you put them in your pantry, and then you just kind of set them aside because I'm not going to use it on a daily basis. And then all of a sudden, when I really need it, then I'll bring out my God of convenience. You know, something's going on in your life. God, I really need you to come through for me, and I promise if you answer this prayer, I'll go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life, right? No, none of you have ever done that, I'm sure. But God, I'll just... I'll just kind of pull you off the shelf when I need you. Well, the problem is God's not going to fit in that box because Jesus says, this is your daily bread. The word of God. We can't put God in a box because he'll never fit. In Moses' day, way back in the Old Testament, God's people did their own version of God in a box. They would worship idols. And some of them were big and they would make them. And some of them, in order to control them and something that they could understand, they would carve the idols or they'd make something out of bronze or silver or gold and they would carry it around with them and say, well, this is my God and I'm going to worship this God or whatever it is. Well, one day there's this man named Moses and he's wandering through the wilderness and God shows up to Moses in a burning bush. The presence of God is there in a burning bush and God asks Moses to, well, first of all, put away your box, Moses. And secondly, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to rescue my people from Pharaoh. 
And Moses is contemplating this, and they have this conversation. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses says, Suppose I go to them and say, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? God, what do you like? God, I want to understand you. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Better translation in the original language, you could say God said, Moses, I will be who I will be. So you can put away all your idols and you can put away all your boxes because I'm never going to fit. I will be who I will be. And if God is looking at you and looking at me this morning, he is saying the exact same thing. Would you, this Lenten season, would you let me come to you on my terms the way that I am and stop trying to limit what the God of the universe can do in your life? Amen? I will be who I will be. You can try to put me in a box, but I'm never going to fit. What is it about the heart of God that we need to understand? We start by seeking God and who he is as creator. That's where we start today. What is the heart of God as creator? A couple years ago, many years ago now, when our kids were a little bit younger, we were coming home from a late night trip, and we got home, and it was a clear night, and the stars were out. Just beautiful. The stars were out. And we got home, and we were bringing the kids in and trying to not wake them up, and we were carrying them on our shoulders and walking in. And all of a sudden, Caleb, he was probably three or four at the time, he looked up, and he goes, Daddy, Daddy, whoa, what are those? And I go, well, the stars are out. Let's go. And he said, wow. And I realized they'd never been up this late. I never see it as beautiful as that. And it was like God saying, would you allow yourself to see the world through his eyes? Like seeing it for the first time? When did you become such a grown-up adult that you lost your wonder? A couple years later, we take a trip to Colorado and we drive up on the foothills just outside of Denver and the kids are like, whoa. they never seen mountains before. I love this quote by G.K. Chesterton. He says this, The worst moment for an atheist is when they feel a sense of gratitude and have no one to thank. When you have those moments in your life that are so much bigger and awe-inspiring and you feel this thing rising up inside of you, it's God, but a lot of people are like, good vibes, good feelings. No, it's not. It's the God of the universe. It's the God that created you. Amen? And you feel that, and it's a really lonely feeling when you feel that welling up inside and you have nothing to do with it. It's because you and I were created to worship. A God that created everything. Psalm 19 puts it this way in verses 1 and 2. Let's read this together nice and loud. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. All of creation speaks to a creator. Everything that we see points to a creator. And don't just think about the obvious things. Yeah, Pastor John, you know, the earth and the skies and the seas and the trees and all that stuff. Let me bring it home for a second. Music. Any sound or melody. Sports. The thrill of victory. A cool breeze. Art. A cold lemonade on a summer's day. A hot chocolate on a cold winter's day, <laughs> a nap. That's the loudest amen some of you have said so far today, okay? <laughs> Sleep. What about a hug? What about knowing that you're loved unconditionally? 
These are all things that God, it's almost like with every inch of creation, God is calling out to us. Everything you've ever loved, every good thing in your life, God says, I created for you to delight in, so you can see me and my goodness. Amen? How gracious is our God? Think about this. Even those who reject him, even those who want nothing to do, oh, I'm fed up with the church. I'm done with religion. I'm done with evangelicals or whatever than that. It has nothing to do with the political party and has everything to do with people that are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm done with all of that. I want nothing to do with that. And some of you might be here today saying, oh yeah, I want nothing to do with that either. It doesn't change the fact that this morning God causes the sun to rise and he painted a beautiful sunrise for you and he got you up this morning. He put breath in your lungs. That's a gift. That's a miracle. And he's giving it to us. If all of creation points to a creator, then who is that creator? What do we learn about the character and the nature of God in creation? Three things I want to walk through today. Number one, that he's the giver of all life. Secondly, that he's passionate about a relationship with you. And finally, that he is epic beyond measure. We're going to get to that. First of all, the creator of all life. You heard it in our reading today. The first thing that we see God do is he creates a masterpiece. Creation unfolds like a great work of art. If you've ever seen an artist's work, they start with broad strokes. Not a lot of detail, but just adding color and separation on the canvas and the, the palette. And, and God starts with big, broad strokes of the light and the darkness and the sun and the moon and big movements on a grand scale. And then gets a little bit more detailed with color and detail and forests and meadows and finer lines. And then the animals. And then Genesis is kind of written poetically. It's like a, like a great symphony or, or master artist conducting a symphony. And there's swells and it's crescendoing up. And after every stanza, Genesis is written poetically. It's in that genre of literature. And so Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God creates day 1, day 2. And after each day, God says everything that he has made, and it was good. Got some Bible readers in the house today, right? Day 2, it was good. Day 3, day 4, it was good. You get the picture. And then it's all swelling up to Genesis, uh, excuse me, to day 6 in verse 22. Seven, we read, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Skip down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made. This is after he made you and I. And God said that it was very good. The word there in the Hebrew is tov. Everybody say tov. There is no word. I love this. There is no word in the English language that can even come close to describing what God meant in that moment. And I love that because that speaks to exactly what Tov is about. Tov is so much bigger than, oh, good. How was the coffee at church this morning? Oh, good, right? I fixed the faucet. Now it's good. Okay. Tov is so much bigger. Tov speaks to all of our senses. To taste and touch and sight and smell and sound. It's something that's deeply satisfying. Tove describes something that it is the way that it was meant to be. Some biblical scholars would say that Tove is, is when something steps into the fullness of its purpose. Something or some one. Here's some of the ways that Tove is used throughout the Bible. Not just here in Genesis, but all throughout Scripture. Tove describes Fresh bread, a glass of good wine, shade on a hot day, even sex, tov. 
Have you ever been sitting around the table at Christmas or Thanksgiving and you're sitting around with all the people that you love and that love you and you've got a great feast in front of you and there's so much laughter and love in the room? Tove. You ever been doing something that you're passionate about, whether you get paid to do it or not, whether it's a job, and in that moment, you feel the pleasure and delight of God because you know, this is what I was created to do. Tove. When you find the purpose of your life, and you just feel that in every ounce of who you are. The most beautiful song that moves your heart. Music can be the language of the soul. Tov. Tov is almost something that's indescribable. But you just know it's so good. And here's what God said when he made you. Tov. Very, very tov. Lots of tov when he created you. Before anybody else gets to say anything about you, God speaks and he says, you are mine. You are the crown jewel of creation. You're what everything has been building up to. You're the great crescendo. You are God's masterpiece. Do you believe that? Do you believe what God says about you? Some of you are like, no, because when you wake up in the morning, some of you are like, I don't get up in the morning and I've got all my bed hair going on and my crusties everywhere and I look in the mirror. I'm guessing the first thing you don't think of is, I am the pinnacle of creation. I am a masterpiece. I mean, look at me, baby. You should do that sometime. You really should. It'd be good for your soul, okay? I'm guessing that's not what you say. I'm guessing the first thing you see in the mirror is, ugh, I'm not, I'm not going out like that, right? But it doesn't change the fact that that's what God says about you because it's not about the outward appearance. It's about the imprint of God's image and his design and the value and the dignity and the worth that he has stamped on your soul. And that is true for every single human being, regardless of the color of your skin or where you live or where you grew up. That is true of you. You are his masterpiece. You are very good. You are tov. You are still the beloved. Some of you don't believe that. And maybe you just need to hear today, right here in Genesis 1, you are not what you do. You are not defined by what you can produce. You are not defined by what has happened to you or what you've done. You are not defined by others' opinions of you or somebody that said something to you or did something to you long ago. You can stop living out that script. You can stop living out that narrative and step into the toe of who God says you are. Amen? This is what God says. Who is this creator? He's the life giver. He's put that stamp on you from the very, very beginning. And secondly, God is passionate about relationship. God is passionate about relationship. Back to verse 26. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, many of you have skipped over that, and you've read Genesis 1 many, many times, and you skip over the pronouns. Don't miss the pronouns. God says, not my, but our and we forget that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Godhead that we sang about in that earlier song, is all present at creation. God the Father is creator, but Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, is there. And we know that the Holy Spirit was there, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And so you take that, and one of the ways that we bear the image of God as his image bearers of men and women of God is that we were made in relationship for relationship. 
We were designed and created to be connected to one another. Yes, to God, but also to each other. One great theologian says this, we were created out of the laughter of the Trinity. What does he mean by that? Where does joy come from? God. And if God is in relationship with himself, he's a relational God at the core, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we were birthed out of joy. You want to find joy? Go back to Genesis 1 and how you were created. We were born out of the laughter of the joy of the Trinity. You were created in relationship for relationship. And so when we, when, we, when we push back against that and we say, ah, that's not really my thing. I've heard some people say this. I'm more of an introvert, you know, so like groups and getting connected at church, that's not really my thing. I am a raging introvert. You have to understand this. And as much as I want to push back against that, I know that I need other people. And I am at my best when I am connected. And there's other men and women in my life that can push me and challenge me and encourage me. This isn't a, this isn't a charismatic thing. This isn't a personality thing. It's not an Enneagram thing. It's a soul-level thing. And when we push against relationship, yes, even in the church, we push against the very way that you and I were created. And so when you hear us stand on the stage and say, get in a small group. Go to men's ministry, go to women's ministry, get connected, join a team, serve, all of those things. We're not saying fill a volunteer role, we're saying step into your purpose. Step into your design the way that God created you, amen? Some of you are like, I ain't joining a small group, I'm just going to sit here in my pew and pop in and pop, I'm not going to get to know anybody. Church people are weird. Well, so are you. Welcome to Hope Elam, everybody, we're glad that you're here, Okay. Come and join the crowd. It's what we were created. God could have created you as a robot, but he created you with a soul. And he's a being and you're a being and he wants to be in relationship with you. Not only is he in relationship with you and wants to be close to you, he is, he is bigger and more powerful than you could ever know. He is epic beyond measure. Everybody say epic. I don't know I can say this, but it feels like all the kids are saying that these days. Oh, that was epic. This was epic. That car's epic. That road trip was epic. It was epic, dude. All of that. And I feel like sometimes it loses its power and its luster a little bit. But epic is essentially describing something that's indescribable. Something that we can't define. And sometimes I believe we've forgotten how epic God is when it comes to who we are in light of who he is. That slide that's on the screen, that star right there, that is the biggest star that astronomers have been able to find in the galaxy so far. Millions upon millions of miles away. First of all, incredible technology that we can see that. The name of this star is Canis Majoris. And I am no scientist or astrologer, but I'm pretty sure that means big dog. <laughs> That's the best they could come up with. That's a big dog star right there. That's the biggest of all the dogs out there. Okay? Just to put put a, a, a picture out there for you. This giant ball that we're living on called Earth, if the Earth was a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Just like that. I don't even know if this number exists, but it would take seven quadrillion Earths to fit inside Canis Majoris. Just in case that you thought that life was all about you. <laughs> it's not, by the way. And I want you to take a look at this next short video. This is Pastor Louis Giglio. He's just going to give us a vision of the relative nature of our universe, of the earth, 
compared to the stars, the big dog, and how you fit in to all of it. Take a look. When's the last time you stood in awe of anything? And the reason I ask you that, I think, is a lot of us have gotten way too comfortable with a God that wants to blow your mind. What is your capacity today for awe and wonder? And I don't know about you, but when I watch that, I'm well beyond cute. I'm well beyond, oh, cool, Pastor John. I'm well beyond that. I don't know about you, but when I see something like that and I think about the fact that God is holding all of that in the palm of his hand, a shrinking feeling comes over me. Like a perspective, a new perspective comes over me. And I realize that we are worshiping a God when we sing how great is our God, that we are worshiping a God that is bigger than we could ever imagine, a God of all power and authority, the uncontested, unrivaled God of the universe with all power and authority in the palm of his hand. And that should move us to worship. Amen? That's what I think about. I don't know what you think about. Let God come to you as he is this morning. And my, my thought is that if God can hold all of that together and put it in place and has been holding it together since the beginning of time, do you think that he can maybe handle what's coming in your week? Totally changes your perspective. Second thing, when I think about that, if he's holding that all, the same God that created all of that and is holding all the galaxies together knows your name. That same God wants to have a relationship with you and he knows the pain that you walked in here with this morning. Think about that. I don't know about you, but that moves me to worship. Psalm 8 puts it this way. He says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings were the mere mortals, by the way. Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little bit lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. God doesn't need anything. He's God. He doesn't need us. He didn't need to create us, but he created you to have a relationship with him, to be dependent on him, that you would stand in awe and wonder of his greatness and who he is. That's how we were created, and yet that should move us to worship. I think when we start to see ourselves, the more we understand who we are in light of who God is, worship moves from being optional to an overflow of our hearts, and to being uncontainable. It's not a question of whether I'm going to worship or not. And I wonder if our passion for worship sometimes lacks because we have gotten used to our position. I'm the beloved of God. Ain't no thing. No, it's a thing. And it should move us to worship. When we realize our position, I don't know about you, but I don't want a God that I can control or understand. I want a God that I can worship. And we were created for it. And in this life, the question of, is not will you worship or not. The question is who or what will you worship. Because we all, worship is whatever you give your love, your affection, your time, your energy, your focus, your money. We all chase worship. We all chase greatness wherever we can find it. And I was thinking about that this week in a much smaller sense, but you can't really talk about greatness without mentioning maybe the biggest sports story of the last week or the greatest sports story of the last year. Are there any Hawkeye fans in the house today? Are there any Caitlin Clark fans in the house today? Okay. So for those of you, uh, by the way, any Cyclone fans that are just being good sports too? Mm, I don't know. Come on. K 
Caitlin Clark is probably the greatest women's basketball player of all time. Just set the record last Thursday against Michigan for the most points in NCAA history, and she's just a few shy of the overall record, not just setting the record for women, but for the dudes as well. So more power to you, Caitlin, right? So this is incredible. The other night, 15,000 people packed into Carver-Hawkeye Arena. People, 20 people deep for autographs, right? A national TV audience, one of the, the highest uh, viewed women's basketball games of all time, okay? They're packed in. S tickets for this game are going between five and $600 a ticket. We're chasing greatness with everything that we do, and we want to be a part of it. Take a look. Coach from Michigan telling her team, don't let this crowd get to you. So far, done anything but that. Recovered by Gabby Marshall. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is! The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. I show you that because nobody wanted to sit down. Because when you've experienced greatness, when you can have the ability to be in awe and wonder, even if it's a college basketball player, you can't contain it and you don't want to sit down. When she made that shot, everybody was standing on their feet. Whether you're watching it on TV, wherever you are, and they're chest bumping and high-fiving and going crazy. And dare I say, you and I were created for that. Amen. Not to be a sports fanatic. We were created to chase greatness. We were created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We were created for it. I love this picture of Coach Lisa Bluter. She's, they did a little tribute to Caitlin after the game, and she's looking at her. And I think it's a really healthy awe. It's not, well, I'm putting you up on some pedestal. She's a broken, imperfect human being just like all of us. But what I want you to notice is Coach Bluter has this ability to be in the moment. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but what I see in that moment, she's just taking it all in. Tove. This is good. This is rich. This is satisfying. And I tell you that to tell you this, is that you and I have the opportunity to do that with God every day. Not because everything is good in my life. In fact, even when it's not. But God, you are dove. You are good. And I'm going to seek your face and be fully present and just be at peace because I'm here locked eyes with you. That's what God created you for. Don't get me wrong. 
Caitlin's amazing. We went crazy in our house. We let our kids stay up way later than they should have, right? But this is 18 to 22-year-old women's college basketball players, and we have a God that created the galaxies, that destroyed the power of sin and death, that rose again and set eternity out there for you. My challenge to us today as a church is that we would be undone by the greatness of God. And it's not about being expressive in worship and somehow this is better and more holy in worship than what's going on in the inside. God looks at the heart. Do you have the ability to be broken before God? To be undone, to go, wow! We have lost our capacity for wonder and God wants to give it back to you this morning so that you can stand in awe of him to catch a glimpse of the greatness of God. Why does this matter? Because sin has a way of diminishing God in our minds and puffing us up in our own minds. And God wants to give us a glimpse of himself, his greatness, so that nothing else will satisfy. Isaiah 55 puts it this way. The prophet says this, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. What is the prophet saying? If you're going to worship something, make sure that it can satisfy your soul and not just fill a craving. Maybe that's at the root of a lot of our sin and the way that we miss the mark is that we are trying to take a capacity for awe and wonder of the greatness of God and we are trying to fit it in our God box. And it will never fit and your soul will never be satisfied and we just run around looking for greatness everywhere when it's right in front of us. And some of you are saying, I want that, but how do I live that out? Because my day-to-day is not on wonder. John, my day-to-day is get the kids to school on time, put in my hours at work and get, take care of that big pile of laundry. Not a lot of on wonder going on. So let me leave you with three things that you can apply this week. How do I increase my capacity for awe, wonder, the greatness of God? Number one, eliminate hurry. The story goes that there is a well-known Christian leader that went to one of his mentors, Dallas Willard, and said, how do I grow in my relationship with God? I feel stuck. It feels dry. It feels empty. Do I need to read my Bible more? Do I need to pray? Do I need to worship more? Do I need to, to fast and pray? What do I need to do? God unlisted off all these things that he thought he needed to do for God. And Dallas Willard's mentor just stopped, took a deep breath, and looked him in the eyes and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And some of you even right now are sitting there going, that doesn't sound very spiritual. If you're always hurried, you have no awareness. And if you have no awareness, you have no capacity for awe. So slow down and receive the tove of God in everyday life. Number two, love God's word. Love God's word. Jeremiah says this, your words were found and I ate them. I I heard a scripture reading in church once and then I went home and went on with my life. I glanced at the, it's not what he says. I ate them, I consumed them, and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. You can't understand the character of God unless you're spending time with God. And the best way to get to know God and his son Jesus is by spending time in the word. Be with him. Consume the words. Don't just get through the Bible. Let the Bible get through you. Receive all of it. Start a Bible reading plan. Come to men's or women's ministry. Spend time with other people that are pursuing God together. Get to know this God. And last but not least, something you can do this week, you could do it tonight. Increase the level of gratitude in your life. And I know the moment I say that, some of you are like, 
uh-uh. Because, Pastor John, you don't know what I walked in here with this morning. And the last thing that I want to do is say thank you. You know what can change the posture of your heart almost quicker than anything else? Gratitude. Saying thank you. Gratitude is cultivated. It's not zapped upon you. It's something that gets stirred up and trained up and cultivated inside of us. And what if you did this? The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you do before you go to bed each night is simply pray this prayer. Say, God, thank you. It's simple. Even if you don't think you have anything to say thank you for, you can thank you for the breath that's filling your lungs right now, that he got you up, that you have a roof over your head, that you have food on your table, that you have a God that loves you, that you have a church family that's around you, right? And some of the most, most inspiring thing to me about this church and so many of you, I know you walked in here today and things are not okay. You are up against it. And the last thing you do is feel, is feel like worshiping. And yet you keep showing up, you keep showing up, you worship through your pain and the darkness and the difficulty and the hurt and the grief and the sorrow that's in your life, you keep showing up. Why? Because you have experienced the tov. You've experienced the goodness of God. And we don't worship when everything is good in our life. We worship because he is good. Right in the middle of it. Amen? Right in the middle of it. And so what if this Lent... It wasn't about doing all these things that I'm going to give up for Lent and try to impress God and feel better about my spirituality. As a church this Lent, what if we were called to fix our eyes on Jesus, to be undone by the greatness of God, to let him out of the box and come to us on his terms and not ours and pray this prayer, God, I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. I want to have an encounter with you this week. I want to experience you. And what I experienced here on Sunday is just the beginning for the rest of my week. I want to know you and I want I want to express my gratitude for all you've done and for who you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wherever you're at, online or here in the room, let's stand together and let's express our gratitude to God. Let's worship together. Good morning, Hope Elam. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.